while I was in that industry, it didn't matter how much money I had in my bank account or how many followers I had or how much influence I had. At the end of the day, when I laid my head down on the pillow, I was broken and I wasn't proud of the man that I was. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Race and Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Nikolenko, and I started this show after finally finding my home in Christ. I grew up in a home with lots of abuse and addiction where Christianity became something that repelled me. I spent my early adulthood seeking God in other religions, tarot cards, psychedelics, and even myself. I didn't realize how much hell I had pulled up into my life until I came face to face with the dark side and Jesus fought hard to save me. Now I live to serve his will and host a platform where others can share their story too. If you're looking for a show that talks about real things and provides encouragement for those who have been to the dark side and back, then this is the show for you. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share this show with anybody else who might be encouraged by it too. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed family. Good morning, everybody. Today we're speaking with Joshua Broom. He was an award-winning porn star for many years. Um, had over a thousand episodes, but God redeemed his story and his influence. And he now is a pastor, a husband, a dad. He's the founder of Finding Hope, host of the Counterfeit Culture podcast, and been on many TV shows, podcasts, and YouTube channels, uh, just sharing his story of redemption. So thank you so much for being with us here on the Raised and Redeemed podcast today. Absolutely. Glad to be here. I'm I'm glad that we finally sorted out a time where uh, we could sit down and just uh, get to know one another, talk. And uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share what God has done, uh, what God has done in my life. Yes, of course. It's all in his timing, too. So I I trust that. And um, yeah, I'm really excited. Something that's really inspiring to me about your story, too, is how you've shared before that, you know, as a young boy, you wanted to be famous. And then the devil sold you this counterfeit version of that. Um, But now how God redeemed your story. And so now you're famous for what God has done in your life. So that's just so cool and exciting. Like the enemy, you know, he had all these evil plans, but God redeemed that. And so I'm excited to jump right into it. Joshua, would you mind telling us like a little bit about your childhood, your upbringing and how you sort of got started in the porn industry? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in a really small town in South Carolina. Um, was born in Charlotte, North Carolina, because the town that I was uh, that I was uh, you know that that I grew up in this town was so small that there was no hospital. Uh, so we had to drive across the state line to get to a hospital. And um, yeah, so my mom was sixteen when she had me, and my dad was uh, around the same age. And my mom, you know, decided, you know, praise God to 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 keep me um, because it would have been, you know, an easy uh, an easy thing to do to say, well, you know, I, I'm not ready for this. Um, I can't do this. I don't want to do this alone. But for her, that was never an option. And um, I was born, grew up in this small town. And uh, what was what was interesting and kind of unique about the relationship that I had with my dad was that he was never in my life, never in my home, 
but the town was so small that he was in uh, close enough proximity where I would see him. Um, I would see him at you know the grocery store, uh, gas station, so on. And um, as I was, you know, when I was young, it was confusing. As I got older, it became something that um, created a lot of bitterness in me, created a lot of uh, feeling of inadequacy. And someone who has a high achiever personality, uh, which is a good thing if it drives you towards operating in excellence and having great work ethic, but if it causes you to believe the lie that you need to earn uh, your worth, you need to prove yourself so that uh, you're validated, um, it's, a, it's a very tiring and endless cycle. So that, but that's where I was. So I thought, well, I gotta make uh, the best grades. I gotta be the best athlete on the team. And when I was thirteen or fourteen, um, that summer, the summer um, when I was thirteen, right before I was about to turn fourteen, I met a modeling agent mm-hmm. and uh, very quickly started doing that. So started modeling. I really had a desire to get into acting. Uh, and that was really basketball modeling and acting like that was everything I did. That was all the energy that I spent. But I didn't realize at the time how many sacrifices my mom was having to make for me to go to acting classes, to, um, you know, to get new headshots, to get uh, new basketball shoes, to go to basketball camps, like all these things. Um, because she was a single mom working in a restaurant in a small town. So she's working 60, 70 hours a week so that I can live a life that looks like the people around me. And this behavior continued as I went to college where um, I thought, okay, I've got to seek affirmation from other people to fill the gap that I had in my heart. And that led me to you know, partying, drinking, being very promiscuous and As I'm doing that, I'm in college, I'm studying theater, and I thought, well, it makes sense to me if I want to be devoted to being in the the, uh, entertainment industry where I want to be modeling, I want to be acting, I want to be doing all this stuff, um, that's my career, that's my life, it made sense for me to move to Hollywood. Okay. I I moved to, uh, you know, closer to the industry. It'll be easy. I'll make it. Mm-hmm. And um, I was lucky. A lot of people move out there, struggle to get an agent, um, struggle to get any kind of representation, any traction. But um, the day I moved out there, I had set up an interview with an agency and they signed me on the spot. And I started doing auditions, uh, started taking uh, improv classes and uh, often at like an improv class or an acting class, there's there's coaches there and there's a community there. And often uh, you you make it based on the relationships you have, because if you have relational equity, they'll you know make an introduction. And that's how you often find success in that industry. But all the time, you know, all the while while you're doing that, while you're chasing the dream, you've got to mediate the expenses. So everyone in, you know, Miami, New York, uh, L.A., wherever you might be, uh, while you're chasing your dream, you got to pay your bills on top of that. Uh, So I I was working at a restaurant and I'm I'm working at this restaurant and three girls come in and they say, hey, have you ever considered acting? And I thought great, this is going to be an opportunity for me to to network, to meet someone. But they were talking about pornography. And um, I had seen porn for the first time when I was 13. 
and I had been very promiscuous um, throughout high school and college. So like the thought of like doing porn, uh, it like is it had never crossed my mind. But because the way that I live my life and because of the things I've been exposed to, um, it wasn't something that was as it should be like there's you know this is this is not an option like this is crazy like absolutely no way i would do that but because i live my life some sort of way it made the thing that most people would never do something that i considered doing and they introduced me to their agent and their agent asked me three questions and in retrospect it's like really great ammunition to manipulate someone they asked um, how did I grow up? What uh, was I doing in LA? And what did I hope to accomplish? Mm. And, you know, I said, it was pretty much me and my mom growing up. So, okay, number one, he comes from a broken home. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm in LA, uh, you know, trying to model an act and I guess want to be famous. And, you know, when when I think back, it's like, I didn't really want to be famous. Like I did want to be successful, like what I was doing. I loved, um, I still love the arts. Like I live to be creative in a way that impacts people, you know, in a positive way or, or prompts them to chase after their dreams or pursue uh, a better life. Like I love that. That's still who I am. But in, in that time period of my life, I really wanted to feel seen. Yeah. I wanted to feel loved and I think he knew that he knew like this guy comes from a broken home and he's seeking affirmation. And he's like, I can make you famous. You know, I can make you the guy you can use acting uh, in this industry. The industry is changing where they're making like parodies of real movies and their scripts and there's all this stuff. So it'll be advantageous to you to use your acting in the industry. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was a bad idea. I knew I, sh I shouldn't have done it, um, but I did. I did one, and as soon as I did, as soon as I did one, it uh, absolutely destroyed everything that I was working towards and that I had obtained. Um, so my agent, my mainstream agent, um, you know, as soon as the the scene that I did got enough traction where my name was tied to it, called me, "Hey, we can't represent you anymore. We can't be associated with that." Um, and then seemed like a few days later, my mom calls me and she had heard through the grapevine that her son was doing these, you know, these, these pornographic movies and asking me if it was true. And I, I couldn't lie to her, but I was humiliated. Um, so that, that's how I ended up in the industry and uh, stayed in that industry. Like you said, stayed in that industry for a little over six years, did a thousand films and it really took me to a really dark place. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Thank you for for sharing that. I'm I'm curious about a few things. Like before you got started with that first film, did you think that this could be a stepping stone into doing what you originally wanted to do, like like actual like real movies, or did you kind of know that the moment you said yes, that this was going to be a different path that you took with your life? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So regarding it being a stepping stone, um, I honestly, I knew that the the cost, I knew once I did that, that um, it would kind of, you know, 
it would it would stop me from ever having the successful career that I had hoped for. Um, but what I did believe was I wasn't good enough to yeah. actually have success in that industry, and I was willing to accept what I knew to be a counterfeit version of my dream. But I thought, well, because I'm inadequate and I don't um, really value myself, I'm going to accept this counterfeit version of my dreams because maybe that's as close as I would be able to get. So it was kind of a, a the sad reality of, you know, when you believe a lie to be true, it's true to you. And you create this plausible reality in which, you know, you see the world through that lie. Um, you see yourself, you see other people, you see opportunities, you see everything through that lie. And I really believe that I wasn't good enough. And it's so funny in retrospect, because like I was 22 at the time and I was doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, but in comparison to my peers, which, you know, I, I didn't grade myself on an appropriate scale. I looked at, OK, who is the most successful people in my circle? And if I'm not as successful as they are, I must not be good enough. Quick announcement here. If you're enjoying this episode, please help us expand our reach by liking, subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing it with a friend. And now back to the episode. That's the world we live in. We live in the world of social media where people post their highlight reels and their wins, um, and you don't often post about your losses or what you had to do to get to where you are. You just see where people are and you say, well, why doesn't my life look like that? Why don't I stack up to this person? And that's what I did. So I believe that success in that regard wasn't obtainable because if I hadn't made it yet at 22, um, I was never going to make it. So that was part of the thought process behind doing that. Yeah, that it seemed to feed into the lie that had started since you were young and you experienced that abandonment from your dad that that developed into this like inadequacy that you felt. And then growing older, like you said, these other things played into that, like comparing yeah. and social media. Um, it's interesting, too, how you noted uh, that, you know, this, how do I say, because you were abandoned by your dad and like striving to you know, receive his love and receive his approval. It developed this high achieving mentality in you, but you just didn't use it for the right things. Yeah. Um, and then how it's kind of reflective of the greater relationship that we have with God, because we often project onto God um, how our parents made us feel like we see. hundred oh, percent. I mean, um, so many I mean, I, I mean, that's that's one of the, the tactics of the enemy, that if I can get you to see God through uh, a human perspective, which is limited, yeah. um, I'm going to project uh, whatever pain, whatever trauma, whatever I lack onto you. It's your fault. This is who you are. And you you don't stack up or I don't stack up to you either. You're not good enough. Or you could not be who you claim to be um, based on my experience. Or I disqualify myself because I'm not good enough to reach who you are, which 
in turn is is is, is true. Which we're we're not worthy of God's grace and mercy, um, but that's what grace is. That we don't get uh, what we deserve. We have that mercy, and uh, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And it's like uh, I just watched this movie. It was some kind of exorcism movie, and the demons were telling this guy. Um, they were like, your own father didn't even love you. Like, why would God love you? And these yeah. demons were saying this. And it's the same thing that happens um, in our lives, especially when we, when we come from a broken home, where we we start to believe that lie, too. It's like, okay, my own parents couldn't even love me. I can't possibly conceptualize that that God would love me. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I, I like, how could he love me? And then so you disqualify yourself or... Uh, you see tragedy in the world. Well, it's like, if if God is actually good, why would he allow that? And again, it's like you, you, uh, you put this human perspective and you see God through the lens of imperfection and he's actually perfect and sovereign and his ways are so much higher um, that you could never comprehend it. But um, yeah, so I mean, so, so many people, I think, you know, that's why so many people, in my opinion, would adhere to universalism, where you would maybe acknowledge, you know, the the validity of, you know, Jesus's life and maybe even uh, his crucifixion and resurrection. But when you get to John fourteen six, if you're saying Jesus is the only way, well, that means there's a father that's rejecting people and you can't reconcile that there's only one way. So universalism is ultimately uh that there is a heaven jesus is a way but he's not the only way um so it i think that like that probably in my opinion like plays a large role in the people wanting to adhere to that because if he's the only way that that means it's it's going to you know he's going to reject some people that don't adhere to that but in reality everyone has an opportunity to respond so that there's there's it's actually uh you know it's it's a really big door but there's a very small uh way to yeah. get through it and it takes sacrificing your like what your flesh wants to do in the way yeah. you wanted to lead your life it takes yeah laying your life down like you said it is a big door but it it comes with the ultimate sacrifice of okay. laying down your life and choosing to pick up your cross and walk the way Jesus uh, told us to walk. Yeah, so- I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of the gospel, right? Where regardless of what your life looks like, uh, regardless of how you, you know, want to proclaim your identity or your sexuality or uh, whatever it is that, you know, you've made your identity, because I would say uh, every sin issue that we struggle with, is a byproduct of uh, of an identity issue. Mm. And the answer is always God loves you and wants a relationship with you. God loves you and wants a relationship with you, regardless of what your struggle is. But if you're going to accept that Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man came into this world and died on your behalf, if he died for you and you're going to accept that to your point, you're called then a reasonable a reasonable response is then for you to lay your life down mm. yes oh my gosh that's so good the identity 
issues behind our sins. That's oh, that leads me into my next question about like when you started that first video went viral, and now like your mom's calling you. Now you kind of have to I- identify with this thing that you're doing, and like you said, you went into it for the next six years. So tell us about like how dark it got, what that sort of looked like the more you grew into this and identified with this line of work. Yeah, I mean, very quickly, uh, you you surrender more and more of your identity, like from the jump. Um, this agent said, hey, I will make your name famous. Mm-hmm. Yet in the adult film industry, the very first thing you do is you go by a pseudonym. Mm-hmm. So the, the first thing that I did, my name didn't become famous. The first thing I did is, is my name died. Wow. So, um, and then like you're, you're engaging in a falsified variation form of intimacy that God designed to happen. That is the ultimate expression of love between a husband and a wife. And you're, you're, you essentially you're living in this counterfeit, but there's so many variables where like you feel exposed because, there's, you know, there's cameras there and there's a director telling you what to do. There's two disconnected people who are being paid to be there. And the reason that they're there is because of their brokenness, um, because a healthy person is not going to like, I mean, I'll just say this. There's no healthy person that's doing sex work with like any longevity. Yes. Like maybe someone does one, like does something one time. like out of brokenness or a bad decision, but like someone who stays in the industry for a long time or does sex work for any period of time, like that person is so broken. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think it's so easy for a, a consumer of pornography not to realize that that's a person. That's a person made in God's image. That's a person with uh, a heart and dreams and hopes and a mom and dad and uh, maybe brothers and sisters. And, uh, you know, this is this is a person. But often there was broken pieces in their life. There was a lack or a trauma or like something that happened, something they did or something that was done to them, something that led them to this place. And now they feel very stuck there. And, and that's why. I stayed in the industry for so long. Mm-hmm. Again, you believe a lie to be true is true to you. So I believed my behavior was my identity. This is who I am. So this is what I have to do. Yes. And there's so many people that will come to a crossroads in their life where, you know, you make this epic blunder, you make this huge mistake, and then you are faced with the consequences of your actions. And it's so easy. To continue to compromise. It's so easy to continue to live in that sin. It's so easy, you know, once you uh, do this thing that negatively impacted your life, like wherever that negative, that negative action lands you, it's so easy to stay there. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, and that's the mindset for anything. Like anyone that is struggling with, uh, you know, an habitual like gambling problem or mm-hmm. someone who is struggling you know, with their diet, they're obese or, or whatever it might be. It's so easy to stay doing what you're doing because it's comfortable there. What's really hard is to change because 
there's obedience and discipline on the other side of every life transformation. Wow. So it, it, it's, it's difficult. So for me, I stayed there because I believed the lie that I couldn't do anything else. And it was easy to continue to sin. So I stayed there. But as my, as my career on the outside looking in, as I became more famous, as I made more money, as I did more projects, um, I became more and more disconnected from reality anxiety uh, it was amplified depression was deepened and for me again same you know uh, achiever personality I thought well if I make enough money I'll be happy mm. you know I'm, I made well over a million dollars and I remember like eclipsing that million dollar mark and thinking like okay once I do that I'll feel some sort of way yeah and it didn't work and then I'm like, well, if I win performer of the year, which is the highest award you can win in that industry, I'll feel some sort of way. But it didn't work. I won the award. It didn't work. And it actually led me to a place where I was so miserable that I wanted to take my life. Wow. Yeah, I think to just kind of go back on a couple of things you said, it's like the first lie is getting you into the industry, believing you're, you're inadequate. And then the second lie is that now that you've done this, there's nothing else you could do. You're, you're stuck here. Um, so it seems like you just kind of surrendered to that and then worked your way up to the top of that where you now found, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be ultimately fulfilled because I've reached all of these successes and you're still empty, which would, of course, you believe the first two lies that you have to do this and you're stuck here. So of course that would lead you to thinking like, why am I even here anymore? Like what else yeah. can I do besides take yeah. my Yeah. In a, in a very real way, because, so I continue to desire to do the things that I desire before being in the industry, mm. but my hopes and dreams to me were just absolutely unattainable. You know, I, I was like, well, no one's ever going to take me seriously again. Um, no organization is ever going to allow me to to lead or, or speak into anything they're doing. I'll never impact people again. Um, you know, like, sure, I might could get a girl pregnant, but I didn't have the capacity to be a father. You know, I, I never you know, saw it modeled. I never experienced it. And now I'm this, you know, this this dirty uh, broken person with porn all over the internet. Like I'm, I'm never going to have the ability to be a dad and, and a husband. Like there's just no way no one's going to want me. Um, so I believe that indefinitely. So those are, those are the things, those are the major contributing factors of me wanting to take my life. Just the, the progressive, you know, masochistic behavior of hating what I'm doing but believing there's nothing else I can do, verbally saying that I like my job because it's my job to to portray a fantasy, yeah. and and but internally, progressively dying inside yes. more and more and more, and even in that industry, like you're you're dating people in the industry, and you're saying you're in a monogamous relationship while you are having sex with other people, and you know. It's just it's just so detrimental mentally and emotionally. Um, it's just sad.
looking for a good ebook on all things dating as a born again Christian? I've got you covered. Head over to the show notes to find my ebook, How to Know If He's the One, where I share the worst of my relational mistakes, how I found my husband, and how God taught me to do relationship his way. I share templates for lists I made, questions I asked, and resources I found helpful along the way. I've been out of the industry for almost 11 years. And over the last 11 years, 30 people that, not not total, but 30 people that I knew personally have died via suicide or overdose. Wow. And did you get into substance abuse as well when you were doing it? So I didn't. Um, so I, I, drugs wasn't part of my story. I, I would drink. Um, like for me, I didn't go out a ton. When I did go out, I was being like, I was being paid by a club to promote an event or something like that. Um, I, I hated myself and I hated my life. So I very much was a recluse. Um, so I was only, if I was out of my house, I was at the gym, at the barbershop, at the grocery store, or being paid to be somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really, really sad life. And where, you know, people around me, yeah, I mean, I think um, most people, like, maybe came in with a drug addiction, mm-hmm. but that drug addiction was to medicate from the pain of their past or they didn't have a drug addiction. And then because of the porn, the mm-hmm. guilt and shame involved, they tried to use drugs to medicate the porn. And then the porn was paying for the drugs. And it was just an endless cycle. Um, that's definitely something that happens. Um, but I've, I've seen people that had never touched drugs until they got in the industry. And they didn't do drugs because drug like drugs like on set like were not a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like girls, like, I don't want to say it wasn't a thing like across the board, for, but for the most part on the larger sets, you know, if someone was inebriated or intoxicated in any capacity, they were sent home, Okay. Um, but more so on the back end, like the drugs came in to, to medicate from the guilt and shame and the pain of selling yourself for sex. And, and living with that reality. So that's where the addiction and the, and the drugs came in. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I, I worked as um, a stripper for a while. So I kind of got to see uh, that just in my own story and in other girls in the club, the way, you know, I came in sober and before I knew it, these small compromises and yeses that got turned into bigger and bigger yeses, um, I had to substance abuse more and more to cope with what I was doing. So yeah, I mean, I know that I know this. You're, you're interviewing me, but that's such an interesting concept. I, I would love for you to just kind of share about that because, I mean, that's something that I say often, and sometimes people don't understand that unless they've been there. Where, like, compromise in any area of your life, it leads to further compromise in yeah. all areas of your life. Um, well, yeah, will, will you just kind of touch on what you just said. I think that's so helpful because it was so helpful for me to just kind of from a self-awareness standpoint, it's like, man, I'm sabotaging myself. Yes. Yeah. I think like when you don't have any boundaries in which I didn't, I grew up in a very broken home as well. And 
Um, you know, I was very promiscuous. So I already didn't have any boundaries before getting into, uh, you know, the sex work world and, and strip yeah. clubs. So it was like, you know, the devil knew that my biggest thing was was money and that I had this fear of survival and security and I'm not going to be okay um, because I grew up very poor. And so, you know, as these whispers of how much more money I could make if I did this or if I did that, or it was like that was the temptation for me and what got me to say bigger yeses um, that I never saw myself making. Like I never saw myself doing those things. And even as I was like showing up or showing up to the motel or all these different things that I ended up doing as a result of opening that first door of becoming a dancer, I feel like I really started to depersonalize for myself. Um, and I couldn't even identify with the fact that this is what I was doing. And um, it's really interesting. Like I, I almost felt like, like I was just, how do I explain this? Like, this was just a stepping stone. That's why I asked that first question. I'm like, this is just a stepping stone to get me to where I'm going. This isn't who I am. This isn't what I do. This is a very temporary thing. But before I knew it, it was becoming more and more of who I was. Like you said, you're selling your soul, selling your soul, and it begins to chip away at you. Um, And that it did for me. And so when I came into the clubs, I was like, I'm going to be a light in a dark place. And I'm going to teach people how to heal because I was very yogi, new age. Yeah. Um, and before I knew it, I was um, doing coke in the bathroom and smoking funny things with girls in their cars out back. And yeah. it was a very slippery slope. And I've heard you speak about that, too, um, in the porn industry, how, you know, you start with the yes of doing porn. And yeah. then the manager tells you, you know, nobody, nobody is wanting to see this anymore because you've already done it 100 times. We need the next, yeah. the next thing. And if you want to speak to sort of the compromises and in the porn industry as well. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's how it works. It's like, you know, uh, for girls and guys, but mostly girls where it's like, you'll have a no list where it's like, I don't want to do X, Y, and Z. And then you don't do them and you have, you know, you're in the, the industry for a while. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, your phone's not ringing as much. You're not getting as many requests as you once were. And then that agent will go to the studios and say, OK, how much will you give me to see her do that? OK, great. And then he goes you know, to the girl and it's like, hey, I'm the studio out of nowhere wants to give you fifty thousand dollars to do that scene that you said you didn't want to do. But if you do it, your name will be relevant again and people will start calling. Like, don't you want to, uh, you know, do that? And he manipulates her into doing the thing that she didn't want to do. And now you do it. And then just like anything else, that thing that you haven't done, once you do it, it's there for everyone to see. And now it's just something else you do. And, you know, that that's, you know, that that's the manipulation of the industry. It's just like, how far are you willing to go? And once you go as far as there is to go, okay, uh, you know, we're done with this person on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's way worse in, in porn than it is like with, you know, strip clubs, because you're, it's not the same like pressure of performance. You can, you can change your mind and not do things like that ever again, if you go into the club the next day, but with porn, it's like people are paying to see these things. And so you have to keep doing the next and the next thing. Um, So what, so it was like, people start with normal porn. And then when that gets old, then they go into gay porn 
And then when that gets old, you said something like how they go into escorting or, or feature yeah. dance. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's often, it's like, you know, you're doing porn and then, you know, the, the agent's like, okay, like, you know, let, let's, let's have you do some escorting as well. But like you, uh, you being able to make as much money or you being requested um, is in correlation with how popular you are in the industry. Um, and then also like feature dancing, like, you know, ultimately they, you know, they would bring a girl that had some kind of notoriety to a strip club and they would pay them a nominal fee um, to, to dance. Okay. And um, but like once like once your name no longer is relevant, like all those doors slowly start to shut. And all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, asking, well, if if my worth is tied to me being able to sell myself for sex and no one's calling. What good am I? Um, is this what led you to Jesus then finally, or what was, what? what's that next part? Yeah. So for me, um, the day that I was going to take my life, I, I was on a plane going from Atlanta to LAX made a plan to take my life. Um, I had enough pain pills to do it. I had a very specific plan and uh, it, it was crazy. So I had this check in my pocket from the, the scene that I just did and it was driving me crazy. And it was just like really big, thick payroll check. And it was just like, I don't know. And I took it out and I was looking at it and I was like, man, uh, I can't let this go to waste. And I, if I put it in my account and I, and I take my life, at least someone will get this money, you know, hopefully my mom. And I go to this bank and almost I, I would went, I went to the bank thinking, okay, I can get some uh, additional motivation to harm myself. If I go through the, the teller line and hand the check to a person, because on the check, like on on the on the memo of the check, it said what it was for. Mm. That like the title of the movie or the type of scene it was. And I thought, well, if I hand it to a person, because normally I would just go like Dropbox or ATM or whatever, I like wouldn't I didn't want to have an interaction with a person, like, here's this check for me, you know, prostituting myself. Um, but on this day, I did it on purpose so that at minimum she would give me like you know, a dirty look or, or maybe say something because I was looking just, you know, when, when you get to the point where like suicidal ideation has become so extreme where you're, you're making a plan to do it. Often people will say, okay, here's the deal. If this happens, I'm going to do it. But if this doesn't happen, I'm not. Okay. For me, I was like, okay, you know, she, if she gives me a dirty look, if she says something to me, like that's going to be the motivation I need to push myself over the edge. And then at this point in my life, like so isolated from everything and everyone, uh, like I hadn't talked to my mom in like almost a year. I stopped answering her calls or texts. I stopped talking to my friends. Um, so no one in my life was calling me Joshua. Like only my stage name existed. I had stopped interaction with anyone because I was so ashamed. And if people really care about you, they'll reach out to you and say, hey, uh, Joshua, what are you doing with your life? I love you. You're better than this. There's there's other things that you could be doing. Mm -hmm. 
like, please come home. Please stop doing this. Like, like do something else, please. And when you hear that, you either say, you know what, you're right. Like, I, I want to change. Or you push that person away. Yep. So I pushed everyone away and I only had people patting me on my back while I was hating my life every second of the way. And I go into this bank, you know, sarcastically slide the the check across the counter and just waiting for her to say something. And instead of her saying something crass or sarcastic, she looks me in the eye and says, Joshua, do you need something? Joshua, are you okay? Because she she could see, uh, I guess, the pain and the desperation in my face. And I, I feel that she was prompted by the Holy Spirit to do that. Mm-hmm. And instead of taking my life, I ended up running for my life. I ran and called my mom and had a really tough conversation. But she said the same thing she'd been saying. I love you. You're better than this. Please come home. So that day I called my agent, my PR person. I called everyone. I quit, I quit, I quit. I'm out of here. And I run home. But then I tried to stack enough good on my dirt to cover it up. And, you know, I I covered up tattoos. I shaved my head. I deleted social media. I did everything I could to kind of separate myself from the person I used to be and cover up um, the things that I did. But I couldn't cover it up. You know, a thousand films, you know, thousands and thousands of pieces of content all over the Internet. You know, I was just one Google search away from getting found out everywhere I went. And I just lived my life just in this really sad, I'd lie to everyone until I got found out. I would keep the lie going as long as I could. I would lie about everything about my life uh, until I got found out. And then I would just try to sort out the pieces. Uh, But all the while, I'm working in a gym. Uh, start having some success in the gym because I still have the same mindset. Like, well, I'm in, if I'm in the gym industry and I'm going to be a trainer, I'm going to be the best trainer. I'm going to get all these certifications. I'm going to make the most money. I'm going to be so successful. I'm going to become, you know, the, the head trainer. And I did. Um, I I became successful in that industry. And even though I was now doing a good thing, I wasn't doing porn anymore. I, I still felt the same way. Yeah. And I, um, this, I was working at this gym, it was a CrossFit gym and this girl walks in and she's gorgeous. And, uh, I thought I was going to be smooth. And I walk up to her like after the workout, I'm like, Hey, you know, I, I can put your equipment away for you. Um, she's like, I, I can do it myself. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I was like, well, I would love, you know, there's this incredible Italian place downtown and i would love to take you to dinner she's like i'm okay what oh my gosh i was like rejection i was like i'm in love i'm in love with you (laughs) but uh she said well you can come running with me if you want and i was like sure you know i'll take what i can get and i met her to, to go for a run and I got there a little bit early. We're, we're going to meet at a park to run. And I'm uh, waiting on her to get there. And then I almost like hear my mom's voice in my head was like, don't you lie to that girl. Don't oh. you dare lie to that girl. And I was like, it's probably a good idea because I had hurt so many people 
by like not telling them I would try to like start relationships or friendships or, or, or different things. And I would withhold that information and it would come out and, you know, it was messy. Um, I hurt myself, hurt other people. And I was just like, man, I'm just sick of being rejected. I'm sick of lying to people. I'm just going to tell you the truth. So I was like, Hey, there's something I got to tell you before uh, we start this run. And I told her everything. Wow. And she was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like she was pretty taken back by it. And then she looked at me and got real serious. And she's like, you know, a person's not defined by the worst thing they've ever done. And a person's not defined by the greatest thing they'll ever do either. There's an author of life. There's a creator of you and me. And he defines you. Do you know who God is? And I lived my entire life, you know, uh, not knowing who I was, not thinking that I was good enough. But what I was really good at is becoming whoever I thought you wanted me to be so that you would like. me. Yeah. So that's what I tried to do in that moment. It's like, sure, you know, I, I know who God is like this and that. And then she was like, well, you know, what's your relationship with Jesus like? You know, where do you go to church? Uh, what, you know, where, you know, are you in uh, a community anywhere? And I was like, whatever you were talking about, I have no, I have no idea. Like whatever you're saying, I don't have that. And she's like, well, I have been following Jesus since I was in the seventh grade. All of my family are Christian and I'm not perfect by any means. I've got plenty of mistakes. Um, but my relationship with Jesus is the foundation of my life. So do you like tacos or what kind of food do you like? What are your hopes and dreams? I was like, whoa, what? what? I was like, I just told you the truth and that's your response. And you still want to know about me. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. God sent that woman. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? And, uh, and then, you know, we, we text like crazy, for a week and then she invites me to church and I go and I remember walking to church and there was this giant uh, wooden plaque that said we want to love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ and I was like Jesus sounds cool but there's no chance that mm. I belong here yeah. and the pastor gets up and he starts sharing this message about Jonathan and David and when Jonathan died, historically, this, this is a story in First Samuel, um, but historically, um, when uh, a king died and a new king took over, that previous kingdom was wiped out. Everyone in that family was killed because they didn't want anyone to think they had access to the new kingdom. But David was different. And he said, hey, is there anyone left out of Jonathan's family? They were dear friends. Is there anyone left? And um, his, you know, his guards. So, yeah, um, Mephibosheth is the only person left. And his guards go and Mephibosheth knew history. He knew what had happened and he was expecting to be killed. But instead, David's guards didn't extend a spear. They extended a hand and they brought him back into David's kingdom and even restored his land and gave him a place in the kingdom. And the pastor says, you see how my was expecting death because of his, his history. 
You see, Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of that sin, the cost of that sin is death, eternal separation from God. We are separated from God and don't have the ability to reconcile ourselves to God. We can't meet, you know, we, we can't build a bridge to get to God. We don't have the ability because we're imperfect because of our sin. So what are we to do? Well, Jesus, God sends his son into this world. Um, Jesus Christ being fully God, and fully man, born of a birth, born of a virgin. He lives the perfect life, never sins. He dies on the cross. And on the third day, he rises and he solidifies. He is who he claimed to be. Son of God, the Messiah, the one who takes away the sins of the world. And through putting your faith in Jesus, his righteousness, his perfection is now bestowed upon you. And you can be made right with God because of who Jesus is and putting your faith in him. Yeah. And I was like this, I hear you, but this doesn't make sense to me. And and, and as I'm wrestling with God, as I'm, as I'm feeling the Holy Spirit tug on my heart, like I didn't understand why would Jesus die for me? And then he shares, it was with joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. It was love for you and me in obedience to the Father that sent him to the cross. And what I realized in that moment was that the Father that I was so desperate to have, I had. And he was waiting on me with open arms. And he sent his son to die for me so that I could be reunited and in a right standing relationship with him. Not because I deserved it, not because I was good enough, but because he loved me that much. And it changed everything for me. Oh my gosh. I don't even have anything to that. That's just like, amen. Amen. And in that moment, you understood why you needed Jesus and what great news that was, what he did for us. Yeah. And then that, that girl that invited me to church, that's my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've been married for seven years. Uh, we've got three sons. Actually, we just found out, uh, we found out yesterday we we're going to have a uh, fourth son in, uh, in January. So, uh, but everything, everything, like when you hear Ephesians 3.20 that, you know, God is ready and he stands ready to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever hope or imagine. I was thinking I was ready to take my life because I was like, I'll never, you know, I'll never amount to anything. I'll never impact people. No one will ever take me seriously. I'll never be married. I'll never have kids. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. And God in his grace <laughs> has given me everything that I was so sure that I would never have and more. Praise God. Wow. I have one more question with that. Like, you know, you, you got married and you've been married for seven years. Yeah. So you, you should have some, some good insight on this. So a lot of people think that, you know, they can live this promiscuous life. And then when they get married, they'll change and none of it will matter anymore because now they're just going to go do this new thing. But while we do receive God's forgiveness, when we ask for it, there are still consequences for our choices. So I'm curious, how was the process of, of your healing and God restoring your perspective on intimacy and 
I'm sure like some of that had to have been a little hard for your wife as well. Um, like how yeah. did you that? Yeah. So it, it was like her. So I, I, I love um, one of my favorite books is the master plan of evangelism by Robert Coleman. And in that book, he says, people are not always looking for a response. Um, sometimes they're looking for a demonstration. And often a demonstration is more powerful than saying the right thing. And um, for her, the way that she responded to my brokenness was her certainty in the gospel. And mm. while those things were true about me, and sometimes they did sting because, you know, up until this day, like people love to throw your past in your face. She's like, well, if Second Corinthians five seventeen is true, which I hold to that it is, then that person that you used to be is dead and gone, and you are a new creation. You have a new heart, a new mind, a new purpose, and that that sanctification, you know, happens progressively. It's every day. Like there's grace for you every day. You know, today is the day the Lord has made, and for her was like, those things might be true about you, but I don't know that guy. Mm -hmm. So the, what the enemy used to try to destroy you doesn't get a foothold and doesn't get a place like in our relationship, in our house, in our family. It, I refuse to allow something that you did that Jesus has died for to have an impact in our lives. In the way that she responded to that increased my faith and, and really expedited my um, faith journey. Okay. Where man, if, if that is what faith is, like under pressure, like it must be real. Yes. Wow. Um, and then as far as from, from an intimacy standpoint, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a reality check for me because I went from, you know, uh, being promiscuous, not just in the porn industry, like my, my whole life, yeah. From like 13 or 14 up until, you know, 30, you know, 16 years of this. And I meet this girl and we're like, you know, we're, we're walking in purity. We're going, you know, it, when we got engaged, like we're going to premarital counseling, you know, saying, you know, like this is something we're committed to. So I think the big thing for me was we individually were committed to following Jesus, but we were also collectively committed to following Jesus. And what I found very quickly through that, like through removing the transaction, like for me, like sex was very transactional. Mm -hmm. It was, it was lust driven, right? It was about that, you know, that dopamine hit, the interaction, the conquest, it was all selfish things that I was viewing sex through brokenness. And then when I experienced love, all of a sudden I was satisfied in a way that I'd never been. And that's, and that's the way love works. That's yeah. the way that God intended love to be where it satiates and satisfies you in a way that lust never can. That's why counterfeits leave you in this, this cyclical loop of wanting more, wanting more, wanting more. Like, while, like, yes, like I love my wife. I desire my wife, but it's like, but, a, but, a, but a counterfeit, like a, a poor substitute 
it's always going to lead to you feeling empty, mm-hmm. not fulfilled. And when I experienced love, all of a sudden I was satisfied in a way I'd never been. And I did, when what I started to desire was less of this and more of that. And like you look at um, Romans 12, 2, where it's talking about, you know, we're either uh, going to be conformed by the world or going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's this metamorphosis that we're going through. And my mind was being renewed. It was being transformed. So like I was trained to objectify women, you know, in my mind, like. It like sex was about a conquest. It was about, you know, me. Like, and it was really this desire to be wanted, this desire to be affirmed. And then there was the the physical component. But I started to see myself differently because I started to see God rightly. Mm-hmm. And that caused me to see people differently. Um, so I mean, there was Lots of uh, her saying, we're not doing that. And me being like, why? <laughs> For a long time. And, you know, there was, uh, there were, you know, I went through counseling. Um, there was a lot of like confession, a lot of repentance, um, struggling, you know, like, you know, for with me, just like want, like being trained to satisfy my flesh and instantaneous gratification and just unhealthy habits. And like, gosh. My wife was just really patient with me. And I love like, you know, it's again, it's a depiction of scripture where Romans 2, 4, it talks about God's love and his kindness and his patience leads us into repentance where uh, there's no room for sin. But at the same time, he understands that we do have a sinful nature. And when we see things like John 14, 15, where, you know, it's saying, uh, if you love me, you obey my commandments. It's not, if you love me, you'll do what you're supposed to do. It's like, if you trust me, you'll trust that I have a better way. And because I love you, I want you to obey my commandments. And if you love me, you obey my commandments. Wow. That's so good. And so was it, it was like in this fulfillment of love with your wife and with Jesus that, you know, led to your process of sanctification and over time you just you didn't have any more of these like unholy temptations or thoughts the more that you yeah i mean yeah like to 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 be you know 100 honest like i mean that was not something that like i get saved and everything went away i mean it was you know i i've been on you know the i've been clay and god's been molding me for a long time but the closer i get to god the, the, the more I see myself rightly. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's been almost nine years and it's been uh, a long, uh, beautiful, hard um, process. But, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely over time, like God working on me. And what I find is, you know, if, if you're willing to be obedient, even when it's hard, Mm -hmm. you, that that obedience becomes easier over time because you start to desire the things of God and not desire the things of old um, because sin might look you know, appetizing in that moment. I was like, Oh man, like it, it would be awesome to do this or do that. Or, but then when you're satiated with God and, and satiated with God's word, what used to look so good to you 
it pales in comparison to the real thing. Yeah, you know it's empty and you know how it's going to leave you feeling uh, afterwards, yeah. Want to dive deeper with the Raised and Redeemed podcast? We now have a Facebook group called the Raised and Redeemed Community where you can join to discuss the episodes, share your testimonies, and find encouragement from fellow like-minded, born-again Christians. Find us on Facebook. We do have the Raised and Redeemed podcast Facebook page. And once again, we now have the Raised and Redeemed community group too. I hope to see you there. That's so good, Joshua. I know we're starting to run out of time here. Um, so I just want to thank you again for you know taking the time to be on the show today. Um, if you would share with the listeners um, how they can stay connected with you, sort of the things that you're working on, and then if you wouldn't mind praying us out and yeah. maybe praying specifically for uh, the kind of people who are maybe transitioning out of you know the sex work kind of life, um, yeah. the kind of people like who we used to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would just say, like for me, like as 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 passionate I was about sin, I became equally passionate about Jesus. Mm. And like that's like I think there's something to like who you are today. Um, you know, your the the tendencies that you have, um, that people are so strategic in the way they sin. Um, and if you're living in sin and you're really successful at doing something that doesn't honor God, mm-hmm. what God will do is he will reposition and repurpose the the same parts of your personality that make you successful or get you in trouble. And he will repurpose them, redeem them. And mm-hmm. it will be that very same personality that takes you to a place where you're walking in God's plan for your life, you're you're operating in you know your gifts and talents, and all of a sudden you're you're operating at a high capacity. You're you're even more successful because you're using the gifts that God gave you to do what God gave you them to do for. You know, like he, you're you're using the things that He gave you to to live the life, to live out the purpose uh, that He designed you for. Yeah. Um, so for me. Like Jesus saved my life, but the Bible transformed my life. Mm. Three days after me giving my life to Christ, I I go find someone and I get discipled. And I'm getting discipled 15 to 20 hours a week for years. I I end up go to, you know, I I, I fell in love with the Bible. And it's like, well, I want to give people this thing that's changed my life. So I go to Bible college, you know, and, and it's like that's been my trajectory. So I ran hard towards being successful in the modeling and, and acting industry. I worked really hard to be successful as a porn actor. I worked really hard to be successful in the health and fitness space. And now I'm working really hard to do the thing God has created me to do, which is to teach and preach the Bible. And he will flip your influence on its head and he will use the things that that broke you and he will turn your pain into purpose. Like that's who he is. That's what he does. Yeah, and that sort of keeps you from living in the past or being tempted by the past because you're too busy. You're too busy yeah. mind to even go there because you're too busy honoring the kingdom with all of these things now. Yeah, and it's so much more satisfying because 
while I was in that industry, it didn't matter how much money I had in my bank account or how many followers I had or how much influence I had. At the end of the day, when I laid my head down on the pillow, I was broken and I wasn't proud of the man that I was. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people that live in that place where like, what I'm so miserable. What's, you know, why am I here? What's my purpose? Your purpose is to, to know God, to love God and to serve him. And the byproduct of you doing that is you'll end up doing the thing that God created you to do. And there's nothing more satisfying than that. Amen. But yeah, I just wanted to share that. Yes, I love it. And then, and then as far as like things I'm working on, um, so I just finished a book. It's called Seven Lies That Will Ruin Your Life. It okay. comes out March 5th. I'm super excited about that. I, I don't think it's, it, you can search for it on like Barnes and Noble and Amazon, but I don't think it's available for pre-order quite yet, okay. but maybe. <laughs> and um, so super excited about that. Um, it's really taking, you know, the, the, the lies of the world that your heart actually desires and saying, hey, those things actually lead to emptiness and brokenness. But there's something that God has for you that is true, that is found in the Bible. And it's just comparison and contrast with uh, what does the world say is best? And what does the word say that is true? And just parts of my story interjected in those. But super, super excited about that. Um, so social media across the board is I am Joshua Broom. So if you want to follow along and then as far as uh, if anyone's listening that wants me to come and speak at their church or their event, um, joshuabroom.me is my website. So that's where you can find um, that speaking request. And yeah, I just love to love to pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, I, I just thank you for your word. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So regardless of what your life has looked like, that doesn't have any determining factor on who you are. You get to say the final word. You designed us. You created us. Um, every detail in our mother's womb, you know everything about us. And if we're in a relationship with Jesus, we've been made new. It doesn't matter what we've done in our past. It doesn't matter what we did five minutes ago. That is not who we are, but conviction is from the Lord. You, you've given us uh, the gift of your Holy Spirit. If you're in a relationship with Jesus and it's convicting, it's prompting, it's leading you into a place that's going to serve you, God. And God, I just pray that we respond to that. And God, I just pray in this very moment, anyone struggling with shame and just uh, just wrestling with just habitual sin or, or trauma, uh, God, maybe there's something that uh, happened to you that wasn't your fault and that's caused you to believe that you're less than or you're stuck or you can never change or no one would ever want you. God, I just pray that you rebuke and remove those lies from their mind in this moment. And God, I just pray for supernatural courage and I pray for my touch for you, God. I pray for a supernatural touch, God. I pray this person uh, that feels broken and lost and needs to be seen, feels seen by you in this moment. I pray that you uh, just overwhelm them with the warmth of your love. And God, I pray for the person listening this that has not made that solidified decision to follow you. 
John 14, 6 says that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. Um, you've given us this beautiful gift of choice. Uh, love is indicative of choice, and you chose to love us enough to send your son to this world to die for us because we're, in, we're it's impossible for us to be perfect, but you sent your son who is perfect, um, that he know he knew no sin to become for us, and he died on the cross on our behalf. And I pray that uh, you just move, spirit move in this person's life, and I just pray that you draw them to yourself, and they surrender, they surrender their life to you because that is the thing they need most. Uh, sin is our greatest problem, and Jesus is our greatest need. And I just pray that they receive that and they believe that, and they surrender their life to you. And uh, you healed, you heal them from the wounds of their their past and their brokenness, God. And I pray that you use this all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to have you leave a review and share it with a friend. All information on how to stay connected with the Raised and Redeemed podcast can be found in the show notes below. Until next time, stay well and God bless you.